one of the great things about uh, the internet. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast. It's just a tremendous source of information. From our studios in Malibu, California. Uh, but the problem with the internet is vetting that information. Welcome to another episode of the Primal Blueprint Podcast here in the Auburn, California studios this week. I'm Brad Kearns, your host, and I'm with my neighbor and good friend, Steve Levine. And if you haven't heard of him, he doesn't have too many books out or a lot of big following yet, but this guy is going to rock your world. And we're going to talk about all things primal, because I think I'm talking to probably the number one enthusiast consumer of podcast books and written material on the planet for Primal Paleo Ancestral Health Matters. Welcome, Steve Levine. Thank you, Brad. So, I thought we'd talk today about how you got started. You have quite a long journey here in the uh, the low-carb world and how you got started interested in this sort of health direction and go from there and talk about some of the hot topics that are on your mind lately. Well, you know, I probably started like a lot of us out there. My family had a history of arterial chlorosis, so I was always careful to stay away from the artery-clogging saturated fat and eat a lot of heart-healthy grains. But as I went into my 30s and into my early 40s, the weight started creeping up and I, six foot tall, got into the low, you know, 205-pound range and I realized I needed to make a change. And I, of course, always had to stay away from the Atkins idea because of, you know, the problems with the arterial sclerosis. But uh, someone convinced me to give it a try and I quickly dropped 20 pounds. And at that point, I was just thinking, okay, so I will uh, die young from all the diseases, from eating the fats, and I'll leave a good-looking corpse. But then flash forward to just a few years ago, and someone directed me uh, to the work of Gary Tobbs, uh, basically on sugar. And that led me to his master tome, Good Calories, Bad Calories. And I, of course, was just blown away by the massive perception change that was given in this country from the diet heart lipid hypothesis of Ansel Keys and the uh, carbohydrate insulin hypothesis that was actually 100 years old but res- was resurrected by Atkins and then Gary Tobbs. And that sort of gotten me more into trying to go further with this, but it wasn't until I found the work of Mark Sisson and his master tome, The Primal Blueprint, that everything really started connecting t- to me. Uh, not only did I have an understanding, better understanding of the science I first got from the, the journalist Gary Tobbs and now from, from Mark Sisson, but also the lifestyle that could be associated with this. And that really led me uh, to uh, further developments, which I'm sure we, we could discuss. Oh, that's great. So, when you got exposed to the Primal Blueprint and sort of uh, took it to the next level, so to speak, from starting out with just a basic low-carb strategy, what were some of the things that stood out for you and how did you change your life? Well, one of the things that I was impressed by is a lot of decisions I had just made independently over the course of the recent decades seemed to be affirmed by the entire Primal Blueprint approach. Uh, for instance, of just over a decade ago, I went from just casual hiking on the weekends to basically walking every single day, at least for an hour. And I had a friend that had a back problem, and he was doing it, and I was walking with him, and it just became second nature. I just really needed to have that movement every day. I wasn't much into 
many kind of sports, risky type sports, but that was just the nature of the way I liked to develop my life. And of course, reading through the, the primal blueprint and then especially the resources at Mark's Daily Apple, I began to realize that that is actually a real seminal way to, to live your life. That as hunter-gatherers, we were sort of born to be having large amounts of movement every day. And uh, the fact that I like to do it on the weekends and our beautiful Auburn foothills in, in the nature is also pretty much part of what we're like, the nature and being able to absorb the nature as we walk. So I think a starting point for a lot of people that aren't active and aren't athletic, like you're saying you're not out there in the adult leagues uh, hitting home runs over the fence, what could they do to get things going on the exercise front simply? Well, for me, it, the big change from just being the weekend hiker was taking the walks during lunch. Uh, and it's really pretty simple. If you have some flexibility in your office, so you can either eat before or I usually eat after uh, the walk, go out and just walk as close as you can to the full hour of your lunch break as you can. And it makes an amazing difference uh, in the way your, your day goes from then on. So for the diet part, you've done a lot of investigation. It seems like today you've landed on the intermittent fasting, intermittent ketogenic strategy. Can you tell us how you got to that and how it's working for you? One of the great things about uh, the internet is that there's just a tremendous source of information. Uh, But the problem with the internet is vetting that information, making sure that you're getting information from reliable and accurate sources. And so when I sort of took this new approach a few years ago and began to get more and more into the paleo primal movement, and I started putting questions into the Google, uh, the primary resource that just came up over and over was Mark's Daily Apple. And there's lots of other sources out there, but it to me at least, seems to be sort of the Wikipedia for the primal paleo movement because it's been around for so long, has such a wealth of information, and is so trusted and reliable that I really use that as a primary source. And I kept hearing about intermittent fasting and probably, like many of you, would go, well, I'm not even going to think about trying that because I need to have a big meal before I take on the day. But as I learned more about it, I decided to just give it a try. Now, remember, and I caution people on this, that I had already been doing reduced carbohydrate living for close to a decade. Um, and often, to the extent I do have carbohydrate loads, are usually later in the day. So without even knowing it, I was probably mildly ketogenic uh, for many years. And so my body has already very well adapted to being a fat burner. But I didn't even understand that fully when I started this. I just went ahead and did my hike one morning without having my regular breakfast ahead of time. And it was effortless. And as you've heard others say before, and I'm sure you'll hear again when I return home that, e- that, that afternoon, I always no rush to go ahead and uh, refeed. I, I, I certainly did have a afternoon uh, start my day in the about one o'clock in the afternoon with some nice eggs, but there was no urgent compulsion to do so. And that really shocked me. And what I did find over the coming weeks and months, as I've continued this now for over a year, is tremendous increases in energy levels above what I got when I originally started the low carbohydrate living. What do you think that's from, that increase in energy levels? Is your brain burning ketones or something? Well, you know, I never have taken it to the point of actually examining, you know, my level of ketones in my body through the course of the day. But I'm thinking it has something to do uh, with what I think Mark has talked about before, and that is in our natural state over the millions of years, we weren't necessarily have the luxury of having a breakfast uh, before we go out and hunt and gather. And therefore, our bodies are sort of adapted 
committed to acting, um, working optimally, even in a fasted state. And particularly what I learned, and I think is true with me, is that it's not like my body is hungering for nutrition while I'm doing these steep hikes. Because as you might have heard, uh, the mitochondria that feeds our cells, sort of the spark plug in each of our cells that needs that energy substance, can take it out of stored body fat. And it makes no difference to the mitochondria, whether it's eating a cheeseburger that you just had a while ago or taking your stored body fat and converting that to energy. And it's just a clean form of energy for me. What if someone's not quite there? They, they can't wait until one to eat or they finish even a moderate workout and have that appetite going, struggling with weight loss accordingly. What do you suggest they do to get to this point? Yeah, and that's a really important point, Brad, because again, I had probably a decade, which I don't think you need that long, but a decade of having a reduced carbohydrate lifestyle before I even imagined trying this. And again, it wasn't until this movement really took off that I really began to understand it was something worth trying. And so there are a couple of things. Uh, one, you know, your body will tell you when you're ready. And so uh, make sure that you have gone through a phase where you have restricted your carbohydrates and are comfortable you becoming a fat-burning machine. And probably the, the biggest tip I can give, which again, I've heard Mark talk about, is that and there are various ways to have carbohydrates during the day, but I just naturally in the past and certainly continuing forward now, do what's been called a intermittent ketosis, uh, intermittent fasting and intermittent ketosis. So I don't eat until one o'clock normally on days. And then I have eggs with some sharp, cheddar cheese, and I'd have a big-ass salad, if I may use a French word that Mark's used before, so I have some of the non-starchy carbs during the day. But I really don't have any starchy carbs, if at all, until the evening. And so that really enhances the ketogenic state. You wake up in a ketogenic state, having not eaten all night, and then uh, the fasting till one o'clock keeps me in that ketogenic state very strongly, and then I continue that on uh, through lunch and with just the non-starchy carbs, and I find that doing that for a while, you may find when you wake up in those mornings, it becomes easier and easier to attempt the intermittent fasting. So it sounds like you're satisfying yourself with a delicious meal, but you're staying in ketosis because of the fact that carb level in the meal is so low. Yeah, that's right. And then it really, and this is, I think, some of the primal 2.0 that Mark has talked about in the past. And it's everybody has to tinker with it. With me personally, when I get later into the day, I do find a certain amount of carbohydrate uh, is beneficial uh, for my personal system. I think while you get quite a bit of fiber from the vegetables, and I eat a lot of vegetables, I do find some carbohydrate, starchy carbohydrate intake at night helps with the regularity and just makes me feel more complete. But by holding it off until the evening, instead of having that starchy carbohydrate in the morning, I think makes all the difference in being able to do intermittent fasting and, and stay in that ketogenic state. Uh, so you brought up a topic of conversation that's uh, there's somewhat difference of opinion in the ancestral health community. What's your take on the discussions about safe starches, resistant starches, so forth, and allowable levels of carb intake on the individual? Well, it's, it's interesting in that there seems to be more and more of a growing consensus with respect to the grains, uh, particularly the wheats and other grains that have gluten. Uh, and the whole concept 
which I think is going to be a large uh, development over the next decade in the medical field that we, of course, in our community know about, the whole concept of leaky gut and intestinal permeability causing all kinds of problems related to the diseases of civilization, I think are going to become more and more well-known and pronounced. And as they do, people are going to realize that gluten avoidance is not just for people with celiac disease or Crohn's disease, but basically that all, practically all of us, to some extent, are going to suffer some intestinal permeability uh, by eating glutens. So the concept of safe starches that you mentioned is an interesting one. And again, I think it's a matter of where you're at in your phase. Clearly, when I was trying to lose quite a bit of weight, and as I mentioned before, I had lost 20 pounds earlier on, but I should announce now that once I started the intermittent fasting and intermittent ketosis, I'm now down to about a 45-pound loss from where I started. I'm six feet tall and one 65 and feel very comfortable with that weight. And so now that I'm at a comfortable weight, I think I can have the added fiber and added benefits of safe starches in the evenings, and it works for me. And if you're not at a comfortable weight, if you were uh, weight, if you're back up at 185, thinking you should get down more, how would you adjust your strategy? Well, I tell you, uh, of everything that uh, has happened with this lifestyle, I think the most important thing is that when I do need to lose a little weight, it really is effortless. And I think that is such a, a dream of so many of us out there to be able to have that kind of control over our bodies. And so, yeah, that's exactly what I do when I uh, do find myself creeping up, and I never creep up that high, (laughs) but I do find myself creeping up occasionally. I just have a nice meal of meat or fish, and I I love my nuts and my seeds. I just reduce or eliminate that carbohydrate intake at night, and A, the weight starts coming off again, and B, when you are in that increased level of a ketogenic state where it's going on, you know, at a higher level because you're not breaking it off every night, your appetite diminishes even further. Again, I have very little appetite. I, I was going to also mention that when I intermittent fast in the morning, it's an, I am now at the point where I really don't desire to eat in the morning. And that I never thought would be the case. I thought this would always be a sacrifice for this lifestyle, but I'm now at the point where I don't even desire. And when I do need to go on a lower, real minimal carbohydrate level, I find the appetite diminishes even more and it's effortless. Well, that would be mind-blowing for many tens, hundreds of millions of Americans to consider for a moment. So you're saying when you're, when you're restricting your carb intake, getting that sugar out of your bloodstream, those doses of sugar, that your appetite drops. Yeah, again, this goes to the science, and I'm no scientist, but as uh, Brad mentioned, I do sort of an internet geek and do a lot of reading on this subject, and the control of your insulin levels is so magical, and uh, obviously with intermittent fasting and intermittent ketosis, I'm keeping that insulin levels at a very low trickle through most of the day. Um, There are benefits, as Mark has mentioned, uh, there are benefits to uh, carb refeeding. I actually... My personal preference is I sort of do a refeed every night, and so I do more than many in this movement. But the level of the carb refeeding, I think, really does interplay with the appetite and other issues. What kind of carbs are you choosing, preferring when when it's time to uh, indulge, so to speak? Well, uh, one of my little treats, my little 80-20 rule treats, is our organic popcorn, um, which, uh, if you remember the old days of these same kind of terminology, the glycemic index and the glycemic load. Popcorn actually is a low glycemic load food, even though 
It is a starchy carb, and I slather it with a grass-fed butter uh, to slow the absorption, and uh, that's one of my, my main treats. As well as a healthy intake of vegetables, and where else are you getting your carbs over the course of a month, let's say? Yeah, uh, vegetables, uh, actually what I have done, something that you might want to try with your local Quiznos. Quiznos has a pretty good selection of salad toppings uh, that they'll put on their you know, uh, sandwiches, and they have some salads with different toppings, etc. I just asked for a special deal, and I call it the big ass salad. I should probably pay marker royalty for that. And they actually take one of their biggest bowls and fill it with their mixed greens and fill it with all the vegetables they have there. And and so even when I'm at work without much effort, and then I just bring some fresh broccoli and kale from home and add that to the salad. So that that's a major source of, of, of my carbohydrate. So you talked about the benefits of having that low insulin drip, that moderated insulin level regarding your appetite and balancing of the appetite hormones and so forth. What about, let's go to the other side and talk about the drawbacks of someone, let's say, who's trying to lose weight on a restricted calorie diet, the usual approach, but they're still pumping out too much insulin and messing with their hormones and their appetite. Well, you know, that's something that I've read about uh, and learned about, again, through Mark's Daily Apple and other things on the internet. But frankly, I've lived it. We've all lived it. And it, it and I just never really understood it. And I remember an article basically going through this, uh, basically saying, uh, what is, you know, the natural state for man? Do, is it really to have your bagel and orange juice in the morning, have that insulin spike, then the insulin, the, uh, the blood levels quickly dropping because the insulin has to take all that uh, carbohydrate, that glucose out of the bloodstream very quickly your brain sees that drop in uh, glucose levels and worries where is it going to end and signals the, the body to eat more and in fact eat more carbohydrate because you're a sugar burner and so you a couple of hours later you've got those cravings and you need to start going through the whole cycle again and I remember that exactly being me I remember those cravings and that's why I was so shocked when the intermittent fasting I was able to completely reverse that process. That's great. It seems like, to summarize this section, if you want to drop excess body fat, it, it seems like it's all about your appetite. And the way to manipulate your appetite or to, to curb your appetite is to moderate insulin production, moderate carb intake, and thereby optimizing your appetite hormones so you wake up and don't feel like eating. Would that be one of your um, signals that you're on the right track? Yeah, absolutely. That's certainly what's worked for me. So now we're going to uh, get into... The people that uh, maybe are naysayers about the fasting, worried about uh, some of the drawbacks. I know the sugar burners who try to fast will end up powerhousing a pint of ice cream that night. But also some of the athletic-minded people are concerned about possible muscle wasting, muscle catabolism, gluconeogenesis happening when the meals aren't on a regular basis. I mean, the old bodybuilder scene was you got to eat six small meals a day with your egg whites and your uh, sliced meat and make sure it's every two hours and so forth. I had similar concerns, Brad, when I first went into this. So I did do my own research again on the internet on Mark's Daily Apple. And what I've come to understand is that at least the kind of intermittent fasting that I'm involved with, which is really more of a restricted eating window of between eight or nine o'clock the night before and then, you know, one o'clock the next day. And if you're in a fat burning mode, you're not going to get to the stage where you're going to be starting having anywhere close to problems of potentially having the body go into the muscle for, for glucose. 
what I didn't understand and what I've learned more recently is that that's a major differentiation between those people that may try intermittent fasting when they're sugar burners, that the body running out of glucose, not having the glucose coming in when it's expected, before you get into a fat-adapted state and you're a sugar burner, there is the distinct concern of the um, muscle cannibalism. And I didn't really understand that distinction before, and it gives me a little more confidence since I am fat-adapted. But that's another reason to not even think about trying some of these primal 2.0 approaches until you're very sure that you're very comfortable and very well adapted to being a fat burner. So back to 1.0, and we deal with this a lot, those of us that are enthusiasts in the primal community, because we want to influence our friends and loved ones and interested people. So to, to get to that point, you did it 10 years ago when you started going low carb. Mine's more recent. I've been eating this way for six years, cold turkey uh, at the influence of Mark also back in 2008. But it sounds like in my case, it was switching out my gigantic bowl of cereal every single morning that fueled my first few hours of the day, switching it to a big ass omelet that was very low carb and didn't spike my blood sugar as the first step. I still had this massive meal every morning, but I was on the right track and getting into that insulin moderating state. Yeah, and I think what you're getting at, Brad, is either if you're thinking about making this transition yourself or if you're already part of our community and you're trying to explain this to other people, what I find really compelling, and it may not be true in every instance, but it's been true in every instance where I've worked with somebody in this area, is that people understand the basics of their cholesterol tests. They understand that there's the quote-unquote bad cholesterol, LDL, which really isn't bad, and the good cholesterol, HDL, and then there's something called the triglycerides. And that, they know the basics, most of them, that that's the amount of fat going through your bloodstream. And they may have anywhere between 150 to 200 as the number on their tests. And they're told that's normal, but that's a lot. And what you can do to try to get them to see the science, the logic behind this approach is to go ahead and try the 21-day transformation as, as Mark has put out or some other type of a protocol and then get your cholesterol retested. And I had this happen to me back 10 years ago, and I did not attribute it to my diet initially. I just could not understand. But my triglycerides, by going off the heart-healthy grains and onto the artery-clogging saturated fats, my triglycerides went from 150 to 50. And I, every friend that I've introduced this concept to has had the same experience. And once they realize that by eating fat, if you're a fat burner, you're then burning that fat and reducing the fat in your bloodstream, that's something that'll get people's attention. So that's the Gary Taub's message. One of them in a nutshell is eating fat will not make you fat. It just it will be a great source of energy to burn, but it's eating those carbs is what makes you fat and also inhibits your ability to burn stored body fat. Yeah, and you do have to caution people that this only works if they're serious about limiting their carbohydrates and they're following these protocols because it does not make any sense to continue in a sugar-burning mode and then and therefore a fat storage mode and then add on top of the sugars and carbohydrates you're eating, add additional fats. That doesn't work. If they are correct, the, the practitioners, the conventional wisdom is correct to the extent that you live in a less than optimal sugar-burning mode. Then the fat's not doing you any good. But if you make that transition and you get into a fat-burning mode, that fat is really beneficial uh, to your energy levels and, and your health. So you're not a big fan of a half-hearted attempt 
to eat primally and, and go from the cereal to the, to the omelet, but also keep the orange juice and the toast in the background picture, huh? Well, you know, Mark mentions the 80-20 rule, and again, I obviously live that 80-20 rule to a degree with my popcorn at night, etc. But if you can just adjust what you eat and when you eat it. So again, you're awake. I can't stress enough that when you're sleeping at night, you are going into a fasted state unless you wake up in the middle of the night for ice cream and so when you wake in them up in the morning you are even the sugar burners out there you're an inefficient fat burner because you haven't adapted yet but you're burning some fat when you wake up if you can just keep that going for the morning and have the kind of a breakfast you know that we were talking about that's uh, more protein and fat just at that level that's what my daughter does i've got my daughter to the point where she'll have a breakfast of no carbohydrates and then she'll do what she wants in the afternoon but she's extended that fat burning window so contrary to the conventional wisdom that breakfast is the most important meal of the day and so forth when you're fat adapted, it can actually be the opposite. It can be an important time to strengthen your ability to be fat and ketone burning. Well, it's funny because I always think about that breakfast being the most important meal of the day. And I think that's still actually absolutely true. But the key is breakfast is breaking the fast. And so... I have my breakfast at 1 p.m., and it is my most important meal of the day, and it's my eggs and my sharp cheddar cheese and my big-ass salad. That's great, Steve. Break fast. That really makes sense. Uh, I appreciate you taking us on this journey. It's come along to be, I think, a nice show that kind of reaffirms the basic principles and how important they are and how effective they are, and also a good little primer for someone that's thinking about making that transition or is, is, has a little bit of awareness, obviously enough to listen to the podcast, but wants to transition into better health and easily manage weight and so forth. Yeah, I, I guess I'd just like to conclude by saying uh, I'm a little unusual in that I am sort of a, an internet geek. I really get into the, the blogs, Mark's Daily Apple on a regular basis and other blogs and, and learning about this type of material. But it isn't that difficult. Uh, a lot of these concepts you can get just from some basic information, either you know from Mark's Daily Apple or his book, The Primal Blueprint, or even easier step-by-step, the 21-day transformation. But you don't really have to get into the weeds like like I have in some of the discussions tonight uh, to see tremendous benefits. And and so I just encourage everybody, just take it one step at a time, but to give it some time. Uh, we didn't really talk much about the fact that when you start off with this type of a lifestyle, as your body converts from a sugar burner to a fat burner, there could be a little low-carb flu. And so don't be discouraged if there's some initial hesitancy as your body makes the transition. That's a good thing. But give it the 21 days that, that we keep talking about, and I think you'll find yourself uh, and your friends g- getting into this lifestyle more and more. Steve Levine from Auburn, California, thank you so much for joining us on the Primal Blueprint podcast And if you're one of those people where life's really busy and the months are passing by and you haven't quite made the plunge that you envision you would, I think you should come to PrimalCon and get a total immersion experience with some of the best presenters and talent in the world motivating and inspiring you along with all the guests. And of course, Dreams to Loom is coming up March 1st through 6th down in Mexico. We have a very few spots left. We're just about to announce by the time this podcast comes out the first East Coast PrimalCon in Mohonk, New York, just a north, an hour north of New York City. And then finally, our fifth annual PrimalCon 
in the beautiful Southern California beach town of Oxnard, and that'll be September 25th through 28th. 2014, visit primalblueprint.com and you can get more information on those grand events as well as some other uh, things that we're launching such as Vanessa Lambert's Primal Play Day, a single day engagement in Los Angeles, a new product that we're offering now and many other events out there that can get you immersed into the primal lifestyle. Thank you so much for listening. Talk to you next time. 